Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. If you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you're here. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're setting some goals for this new coming week. And I'm so happy you're here and listening to this podcast. So... I just want to say again that I'm not a psychologist, nor am I a gifted teacher. I stumbled across this topic of giftedness in adults by accident, and I realized with a huge aha moment that there is an explanation to my somewhat strange and unique experience of the world, and that this is not solely due to my quirky personality but that there is actually a collective experience and relatedness amongst intellectually gifted people. And this realization actually helped me to see myself in a more positive light. And when I feel like society is trying to tell me that I'm wrong, but now I realize I'm just a little bit different than the norm. So it did empower me and it gave me a language to express my inner world a little bit better. And this is why I thought creating this podcast is so powerful because I don't do this research just by myself in my own four walls, but actually I'm doing this and I'm taking all of you on my journey and I'm sharing all that I learn with the world. And this topic, I must admit, of giftedness is was and still is a little bit murky and I'm trying to figure out what is giftedness and what it is not and what is ADHD and where are the intersection, what does twice exceptionality actually mean 
And then I learn all of these new concepts like positive disintegration and the whole concept of neurodiversity. So if you don't understand all the terms and language yet, don't worry. That's why I'm here. We're slowly, slowly getting a little bit clearer on the language and also helping you get the vocabulary that you can express your own experience and your own inner world to other people that may or may not relate to what you're going through. But I just want you to know that you're not alone on this journey. There are a lot of us out there. And so, yeah, let's dive right in and let's start today's episode. So my guest today is Erin Keeley. She is a yoga teacher, a former teacher, and also a former climate change researcher. She is now a relationship and executive coach and the founder of the Interpersonal Institute. And she also runs a Gifted Women's Summit. So she does all the things. Clearly, she's gifted. And she has a very incredible life story. And she's going to share that with us today. And so without further ado, let's just dive right in. Hello, Erin. Nice to see you and welcome to this show. Thank you so much, Nadja. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so blown away by your resume when I looked on your different websites. And I have to admit, I need a little bit your guidance in your story. Maybe we start from the beginning. Do you want to share a little bit about yourself, who you are, and how you got into this topic of giftedness? And then also what, what else you do, we can talk about afterwards. Yeah. It's so funny as I hear you say this, I often get the feedback that I need to cut out three quarters of what's on my <laughs> social media page in terms of things I've done in the past. I'm like, but they're all different. I want to leave them up there. <laughs> so, Well, gosh, the topic of giftedness, it's, I love the air following the unidentified gifted, especially in adults. And this past fall, I ran a summit called the Gifted Women's Summit. And that was one of my general themes around wanting to run that summit as well is I I have a theory that maybe women and people of color and people in low economic areas also are not getting identified. And so when I started poking into giftedness a few years ago, again, it was interesting to notice that I'll be just totally honest here that the Facebook groups I found for giftedness tend to be a certain kind of, well, it's white affluent Christian culture. And I was like, I I don't, I mean, I live in Boulder, Colorado. I, I'm not a hippie anymore, but I kind of used to be a hippie. I was a yoga teacher. (laughs) I left the Catholic church when I was 15. I felt like I didn't fit. And so I really wanted to start a women's community of potentially unidentified gifted women, also identified gifted women, but then bring in more neurotypes and more cultural types. So the summit was 50% BIPOC presenters, which I was really excited about. And then I also really shopped around for women that I could just tell were gifted, but Like I picked this one woman who's a master trainer in gyrotonics, um, which is a form of exercise. And she's clearly a kind of somatic giftedness that, you know, we don't have a category for that. So anyway, (laughs) 
Do you want to share a little bit about your own personal story about gifting? It's like, what triggered to actually do this? How did you get acquainted with, with even the term? Yeah. So let's see. Well, I can't, my mother's side of our family is very interesting. I wonder if most of the people on my mother's side of the family are neurodivergent. Now I have a word for that. <laughs> All I knew is that I had a lot of weird uncles who are brilliant engineers. Okay. okay. <laughs> so it runs in the family, basically. Right. And my mother has an interesting story. She was the only girl of six children, and she kind of grew up having to be really tough, like a tomboy. And she also was she was very gifted mathematically and was born in 1949 and really wanted to go into computer science. And her parents literally wouldn't let her because she was a girl. So she ended up becoming a math teacher. And so when my brother and I were born, she was just really adamant about, you know, making sure that her children had opportunities, especially in math and science. So what's funny about that, I'll just fast forward, is that I'm an INFP, a Myers-Briggs. And so I do love math, but I have like this whole other side to me. <laughs> but my younger brother is actually a lot like my son now, who's 12. And he was a colicky baby, really difficult kid to raise. This is the th stories I heard right growing up. And very early on, because he was a boy, was identified very smart and gifted. Like I just grew up knowing my brother's really smart and he does math and like that, 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 and he's doing electrical engineering by the time he's five years old. Right. So, um, but I didn't hear that as a little girl and it wasn't until like, I thought it was just my brother that was smart. And it wasn't until second grade that the school we were in Atlanta, Georgia identified me as gifted and put me in a gifted program and I'll never forget this. I don't know who's going to hear this, but I'm just going to say it. And I, it's nobody's fault. It's just the cultural stuff that we end up, the unconscious biases that end up happening. My mother actually said to me, you're only getting put in, put in the gifted program because you work really hard and you have straight A's, but you're not smart like your brother. <laughs> and of course, I, you know, those words are still, I remember them verbatim, Right. And you'd believe when somebody says something like that, right? We take it. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. So I remember getting to go to this gifted room in second grade. The teacher's name was Mrs. Hankey. And I loved being in there. And I really didn't know what was going on or what we were doing. All I knew is that I was really happy when I was in that room. <laughs> and I felt really like Mrs. Hankey, like I'm almost tearing up, felt like my mother. Like I just, like I still couldn't see her face. Goodness. So, but I will say this. She, I remember doing research projects on Leonardo da Vinci and I was interested in both the science and the art. And I had a natural desire to write. And I remember I wrote like several mini books starting in second grade. Wow. And I said, I want to be an author when I grow up. And I, um, it's just this year, I'm actually in a book writing program this year. So Yay. I'm 44. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens, but it's pretty exciting to finally, finally be embracing that. You know, it's been since I was eight years old. <laughs> 
So you were in this gifted program, but I guess you didn't really know what it means to be gifted and apart from yeah. the school, apart from the academia. And yeah, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> you know, all I knew was that suddenly I had some sort of like external validation that I was smart. And actually, when I was in fifth grade, well, I got really, really involved in gymnastics. So I, I don't know if there's a term for that, but I call myself a kinesthetic empath because <laughs> I've been doing advanced embodiment stuff since then. So that became a big part of my identity. And I just sort of quit trying. I didn't have an identity around being the smart kid. Does that make sense? It turns out a lot of gymnasts are gifted. But when I was in fifth grade, we moved from Atlanta to Michigan and there was no gifted program. They said there was a gifted program, but they literally did absolutely nothing. So I just forgot about it. Like I literally forgot I was gifted. The only other validation I got was that in the seventh grade, the algebra teacher told me that I had the highest understanding of algebra and the highest marks in the whole like seventh grade or something. I remember that. And it was also a female teacher. It was interesting. There is definitely a trend here around getting seen by women. And then I found myself in all honors classes in high school um, and APing out of things for college. But I didn't, I think if I had known that I was gifted, I might've applied to harder schools and picked a different degree. I really had no idea at that point. I'd forgotten. You feel like if you knew or embraced it a little bit more or like not forgotten that you were gifted, that you will have more self-confidence and kind of take on more difficult, as you say, schools, like it will give you a little bit more self-confidence at a time? Yes. Good question. Yeah. So fast forward, I've only really just begun to find myself career-wise in my late thirties after divorce. So I found myself going to engineering school because my parents said that actually we're not going to pay for everything unless you pick like a hardcore engineering kind of science-y degree. And I could do it, but honestly, I hated it. I did chemical engineering as an undergrad and then I went through a whole series of interviews and hated everything I was interviewing for. And so I was coaching gymnastics and teaching little kids science stuff in the summers and working at a library, all for minimum wage, and then got a job in a lab at the University of Colorado randomly with this woman who, again, recognized me and asked me literally to be her graduate student and paid for everything. So I did get a master's degree in civil engineering, but it's so funny because I didn't pick any of that. <laughs> I just did it because that's sort of what everyone in my family did. And then I got married and sort of found myself unconsciously following this path of becoming a mother and a housewife and not pursuing a career. I did yoga teaching and coaching gymnastics, which I've loved, but it's just, it was my late thirties that I started to go, wait a minute. And a friend of mine actually gave me a book on gifted adults. And that's when I started to uncover what was really going on. So But just to complete your resume, just so to showcase the typical, untypical gifted resume, you also ended up in Antarctica, right? You did research I, in Antarctica. I did. It's so funny because, again, I didn't ask for that. Yeah, I guess I'm fast. I'm all over the place as I tell this story. It's kind of fun to 
I'm also, you know, reflecting in the back of my head, kind of staying present with you, but having all these memories pop up. The only reason I went to graduate school is because I didn't want a job. (laughs) And then, but I got lucky. The woman who took me under her wing, who I actually interviewed for my own summit last October, her name was Dr. Diane McKnight. And she's obviously highly gifted as well. She was a civil engineering professor. Her husband is quite literally a rocket science physics professor. And she had such high empathy levels. So she was doing climate change research through the engineering departments, which is kind of unusual. And she was traveling to Alaska, the Arctic Circle and Antarctica. And then there's a research station here in Colorado as well at the Continental Divide. And they were doing extreme climate change studies of monitoring all the components of an entire ecosystem to be able to look at how climate was affecting things. So she just needed help basically dealing with all her samples in a lab. I got a job. She... (laughs) she's a total absent-minded professor, literally gave me the job and said, here's the lab. Here's the key. I'm leaving. I'm going to Alaska. (laughs) He figured out. And and I just, I love a challenge like that. So I just started meeting everyone in the lab, asking everyone what to do. I just figured out what to do. And she came back in three months and looked at what I was doing and said, oh my gosh, just, I'll just pay for it. Will you be my graduate student? Will you be my TA? Will you be my research assistant? And if you do, I, you will have to quote unquote, pay me back and go to Antarctica and collect more samples. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I, I, that fell into my lap and it's amazing that it did. Oh, wow. What an amazing story. (laughs) (laughs) She also knew I was a rock climber at the time. And you definitely have to be able to deal with extreme outdoorsy kind of stuff to be able to get to sent to Antarctica, right? So how long were you in Antarctica for? So I ended up being there for two months in in January, February of 2003. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Oh, has nothing to do with gifted. That's just my personal interest. I was like, wow, that's so cool. Well, I'll tell you though, I, I was already married at the time. It turned out it was not a healthy marriage and my gosh, there's a lot in here, but I was blown away by the people I met in Antarctica. I felt like when I got there, oh my gosh, these are my people. And this is my tribe. And I didn't know why. I now know they were all gifted. You know, when we went through snow survival training, I'll never forget there was a man in our training who they had to re-up their training every 10 years. And he'd been going to the South Pole for 30 years. He had a beard down to his belly button. He had three PhDs. And I think I can say this. He was talking about I'll leave a couple of details out, but the crazy parties they were having at the South Pole, <laughs> you know, I'm like, who is this person? And well, here we are out on a glacier, like building igloos. <laughs> so. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I also work in a research environment and that's also now I know why I like it so much there because obviously, you know, my peers, some of them are clearly gifted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. High intelligence, high empathy, high. I mean, everyone was there because they really care about the planet and yeah, wanted to do amazing science to make a dent in what we knew was going to be coming for climate change. So, and then after you were in Antarctica, you then 
basically left that career path and started doing something else, right? Yeah. And if I'm talking too much, by the way, let me know. <laughs> oh, go ahead. It's it's your talking time. <laughs> you talk. Yeah. So we're, we're, the mood is about to shift here because I know that it's in my bio. But when I was in that marriage and in graduate school, my younger brother was in electrical engineering school at Purdue. And he just, I was his big sister that was always looking out for him. He just had, he was a, he really struggled as a gifted individual. And no one in our family understood that stuff back then. You know, the emotional sensitivity, all I knew without figuring out this was a gifted thing till literally a couple of years ago was that it was like my brother and I understood each other at a level that I couldn't find in anyone else. And we were really close. We fought when we were little, but after that, we actually became good friends, which I know is unusual for kids. And he was always in trouble. And I was the one that was always bailing him out and like, and trying to cover up for him to my parents and then explain him to my parents because I, they didn't understand him at all. Anyways, he was six foot four, just this big hearted, just loving creature. And I, it was hard to watch the world come down hard on him. It was also hard to watch what teachers would do to him because he was always smarter than the teachers and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. I knew better. I was the, I was the good girl or whatever. Anyways, when he was in college, he started to struggle even more because alcohol also entered the picture and all of this. So I'm not going to tell the whole really hard story, but he did end up taking his life and, oh, so I've been in PTSD therapy for 20 years because I was the last one to talk to him and the first one to find out. And of course I was in shock and I was only 25 and I had no idea what was going on. And I'd never done any therapy or any psychological work whatsoever. I dealt with it by becoming very type A. <laughs> I did three triathlons. I had three jobs and I was in grad school and that has caught up with me over the years. Anyway, they, I had to go to Antarctica eight months after that happened. Oh. And I, I remember I did get into therapy and my therapist was obviously very concerned, but I was determined to go. But what I will say is that the grief of the whole situation hit me when I got to the ice, we call it the ice because it was quiet mm. and I had to slow down, you know, I had to sit in a hut for hours on end, just like being with myself. And it was really difficult. So my long story short, my relationship also fell apart and I came back. I actually had, oh, <laughs> and there randomly was a helicopter crash that happened right out front of our hut when we were out in the field on the ice. And it was myself and mostly other female grad students who ended up rescuing two men and saving their lives. So I'm taking deep breaths, but I I technically have triple PTSD, <laughs> complex PTSD because of all of that happening within one year. It def so it changed the course of my life. What happened to me, let's see. So we were in the McMurdo Dry Valleys, which means you fly through New Zealand to get to Antarctica. And to transition to coming back home, they recommend that you take a little time in New Zealand because it's such a big transition to come back home after an experience like that. You know, even just the magnetism effects on you and the 24 hours of daylight and 
There's no smells in Antarctica. There's no colors. It's really shocking even just to land in New Zealand and be overloaded, especially as a sensitive person now I know. So I took a few weeks in New Zealand traveling around with another female scientist. And I remember feeling like this feeling, This there was this moment before getting on the airplane in Auckland where I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I just made it through all of this and I could maybe do something really cool with my life. <laughs> like, And this is, might sound so silly, but it really had never occurred to me before. So it was like this moment of, oh my gosh, I do have potential. If I can do this, I can do anything basically. Right. It was, it's just so ridiculous now when I look back, but that's how clueless I was. Yeah. And what did you choose? Yeah. All I knew was that I was still coaching gymnastics. I forgot to mention, I got, I actually got asked to start coaching gymnastics when I was 15 years old. So I'd been doing it this whole time. And at that point I was, I had my own group of high school girls that I just adored and they were mostly all gifted. (laughs) And all I knew was that I loved working with teenagers and I wanted to be able to help kids like my brothers. So I bailed on doing my PhD and there's a program in Colorado called the alternative teacher program. And I found a job getting a job teaching high school science in a really rough school district that was desperate for a teacher. And they just Of course, I guess this is a gifted thing too. I just learned on the job how to teach school and deal with all kinds of stuff because I was in a low economic district and a lot of students didn't speak English. And so that's what I did for four years. And then I burnt out because I got really angry with the bureaucracy and how I watched kids drowning and the schools doing nothing about it, which reminded me of my brother. So I couldn't handle that. There was no gift. There were never any gifted programs in Colorado. I will say to you, the topic of giftedness never came up. I know that I had gifted kids, especially the boys, of course, would trigger my trauma and I'd want to be helping. I was teaching honor science usually and the schools would literally say to me, nope, you're going to fail this kid and he's going to learn his lesson. (laughs) And that's when I quit. So I could talk for hours about this, but it's been a journey to then figure out what the hell am I going to do with my life? (laughs) You know, I'll let you pause. (laughs) No, I I think it's incredible. Like we, we have this empathy and we feel we need to or a common theme in the gifted world that we feel responsible for taking on and making the world a better place being a climate change yeah. students like <laughs> you try to do it all no wonder you burned out like oh my god but mm. you you do make obviously an impact in the world so what, what was your next step after this did you take a time to just relax or did you just jump into the next thing how did you cope at that time How did I cope? Well, that's a good question. I was then doing a lot of therapy and I had gotten heavy into yoga. That's Mm -hmm. how I was coping. And yoga became a really big deal for me in terms of like, I mean, I needed my yoga, (laughs) you know, I was also rock climbing on the weekends, which was amazing. I did a lot of that in my twenties and no, I actually, cause I, in Colorado, I don't know different states and I know that that Europe is different but I was only making $40,000 a year as a teacher with a master's degree. So I was in debt because you can't really live on that in Boulder, Colorado. So I had to jump into the next thing and I got remarried and 
my favorite yoga teacher happened to show up at my wedding as a date for somebody else. And <laughs> literally on my wedding day said to me, Aren't, don't you have a yoga teacher certification? I just got a job as the regional director for a big corporate yoga studio. Do you want a job? Because I hear that you might want to quit teaching. And so I jumped to managing a yoga studio and starting to teach yoga. I have found that I have to be doing some kind of job that's embodiment. And I also need to be doing something intellectual. And it's been a rough journey to land where I am now. So I started teaching yoga. I had a baby. My son was a colicky baby. And so I had to do a lot of stay-at-home mom for a good five years. But all during that time, I was teaching yoga and studying yoga philosophy in depth and became very interested in South Indian goddess mythology in particular. <laughs> I know now this is a gifted thing, but that's how I got through the years of being a stay-at-home mom where I was bored out of my mind. I would stay up till two in the morning, listen to goddess mythology, religious studies lectures in the bathtub. <laughs> so I ended up following that professor to deep South India several times. And those myths have led me to where I am now. Those peoples have a very different way of looking at the world and it's all around relationships. Everything is relationship as a growth path. It's not about enlightenment, actually. It's just about like, how much can we taste life as human beings through these bodies with each other and learn from each other, which, <laughs> so I'll just fast forward a bit. I ended up doing relationship coach trainings and executive coach trainings, and I'm now a coach and I also go into workplaces. My business is called the Interpersonal Institute. And I focus specifically on interpersonal intelligence and bringing that to cultures and workplaces. So basically helping companies not getting their corporate culture sour, but really helping them focus on their corporate culture and the relationship between employees to make this the best workplace and then also the best company and get best results. Yeah. And there's a blind spot in specifically in American business culture where there's so much emphasis being put on meeting your goals and doing leadership training, but there's a complete blind spot around how to actually connect with each other and see each other as humans and have real relationships at work, but all the research shows that people stay at their job and do a good job if they feel close to people. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So can I ask a question mm -hmm. now that everybody's working from home and yeah. we're also, I usually work in an office, but now for like a year, I've been forced working from home and we only interact via Zoom. Uh -huh. Do you have like a tip of like, one single small tip of how to improve corporate culture virtually? Is there such a thing? Or is that another whole hour? No, it's a great question. I have lots of ideas. I'm actually working on a marketing funnel to get to do that more. You know, only 7% of our communication is in words. And mm -hmm. So much happens with facial expression. I love that you and I are in video right now, even though this is an audio. So much happens when we read each other's faces and body language. And then as a yoga teacher, I know there's also something else going on. Because, And even as a gymnastics coach, like I taught myself a lot of gymnastics by watching Romanian gymnasts on video. There's a mirror neuron thing that happens. 
And we're missing that right now. So I don't think that the remote companies that I'm seeing really understand how important it is to take breaks out of their schedule and have meetings where they are doing something I call authentic relating and really focusing on how people feel with each other in the present moment and get an actual right brain connection happening. It's a little tricky how to do that on, but you can do it. I coach everyone on Zoom, so it is possible. So basically taking a break from just the business, but really also investing a little bit of time to keep this connection even via Zoom. Yes. And then to speak to how we are actually doing in the present moment. So for instance, I, I, I will give people sentence stems and say something like, I'm noticing that I feel with you right now um, very curious and bubbly and excited and just really happy to be connecting with you. <laughs> and, and then I would say back to you, how was that to hear? Lovely. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly who I am. So you truly see me. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. So I get people connecting, take a pause and like really connect like that. Hmm. Wow. So I hope and I wish more CEOs and human resource people are listening and get a glimpse in that field because this is really especially needed in today's world. Mm. And I, I have a feeling that even after COVID, people might not all go back to the office and remote work has been already present before. And so I think there's a real need for this. So, but then you became this relationship coach for corporate. And then you said only recently, a couple of years ago, you kind of reconnected with this whole giftedness that you basically were told you were gifted as a child, but then never really understood what it means. And then mm -hmm realize at some point through the book that a friend gave you and then mm -hmm. applying it retrospectively through all your life like we all <laughs> kind of do once we found out in adulthood that oh this was actually something you know that has been present all my life and then mm -hmm. you revisit the past and it makes more sense was, was that how it was for you yeah there's another piece in there I'm glad you're okay. bringing us back so my son is 12, his name's Cohen. And we started worrying that he might be autistic when he was a baby with all the struggles we were having and the typical, like, couldn't sleep, was pushing us away, not as much eye contact. It's just, I'm such an empath. It was clear to me how sensitive he was and his dad is not sensitive. So I actually think that that's the main thing that tore us apart is just being so different in that way. And also one of the reasons I've become so interested in relationships is I feel like I failed at them, but I have had this experience again, where I feel like I really understand my son and other people do not. And he's done all right. He's not struggled nearly as much as my brother did, 
But let me see. In the fifth grade, he started to have issues. Something would go wrong and he would have a complete emotional meltdown and be hiding behind a bookcase. And in the fifth grade, that's not really normal. (laughs) And the teachers were dismissing him as like an average kid. And I knew like he'd come home and do these high school engineering projects in his bedroom. Like he's not a normal, like that's not, (laughs) I don't think that's what his friends are doing. And also he's the kid that won't wear tags on his clothes and he only wears sweatpants and he wouldn't wear shoes till he was five. And all these little things that have made parenting really difficult. And I've just been like trial and error. Like I had no idea that my kid was potentially gifted or whatever it was. And so how did I finally start to figure this out? Well, that gifted adults book. And then I have a friend who is a gifted and talented certified, has a master's degree in it. And he's an executive functioning coach online. And we became friends again And I realized as I was hanging out with him, I'm like, oh, we're a lot alike and my son really should be working with you. And then he started working with my son a little bit and long story short, my son is twice exceptional and we're still on this journey of trying to figure out how to get him the right support. But just because I've been on that journey with my son, I've had to relook at this and go, oh my gosh, there's a lot here I need to understand. And as I've studied all of this around my son, I've of course been relearning about myself. And then I realized that all of my female coaching clients are also probably twice exceptional. And that's why we were working together. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we just attract each other and we don't know why, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I ran the women's summit because I realized that all of my clients were gifted women who literally think there's something wrong with them. And that's the main thing that we work on is no, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, this is your boyfriend doesn't understand you. You didn't understand you. Your boss doesn't understand you. And you may never be able to work for a boss. You might have to work for yourself, you know, that (laughs) sort of thing. Well, do you want to share a little bit about the Women's Summit? And is it, are you planning one again? Yes, I'd love to run it again. I do want to make it nonprofit next year. And so I've started the process of going, okay, I need to find sponsors and all of that. I ran it last year because I got an SBA loan and I was like, great, I'm going to use this money to run a summit. (laughs) Gifted thing to do. Um, And what do I want to share about it? Well, because of the pandemic situation, I felt like I had a chance to run a creative project that potentially could help me with my business, but also just create more of a network of us gifted, twice exceptional, whatever it is kind of women. And like I said in the beginning, I also really wanted to bring in other kinds of giftedness that are not focused on in schools. So some of the women involved knew they were gifted. Many of them did not. Some of the women I asked to interview had no idea they were gifted. And I just told them because it's crystal clear. (laughs) Um, And how did they take it? Like if you tell somebody you're gifted, what's their reaction? (laughs) Some of them said, like, I don't want that on the interview. Like I don't want to appear as elitist. Mm -hmm. That was a big trend for the women. Like I would Mm -hmm. never say I'm gifted in front of somebody, which I do think is interesting. I like that the G word's calling it the G word because I wonder if we need a new word. But for women in particular, the big thing is that they wouldn't own it especially publicly. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that so this conversation I had a few times now on my podcast, right? Like mm-hmm. starting with Marilee Schlappi, who said, don't call it what it is because of this mm-hmm. negative kind of mm-hmm. thing. But then also talking to Jennifer that says, you know, if you create a new thing, then people still the term gifted, it means something, right? And it's been defined. Mm-hmm. And so if you create something new, then it's just going to be confusing for people. So I think what we or what I'm now trying to do is really to say, okay, we need to break these prejudice, the stereotypes mm-hmm. and and really start owning this and yeah, getting rid of this, you know, shame around it or elitist thinking. And yeah. whenever somebody's identified as ADHD or something that's kind of like a quote unquote deficit, they're embracing it more easily. Whereas this giftedness, as you say, it sounds elitist, but it's not. It's just different, right? Yes. And that that would be my preference. Can we just all reframe all of this? Like everyone is different. And why can't we welcome more neurotypes <laughs> without putting them all on this caste system, like rungs of the ladder? Exactly. And, and because I interview people from all over the world with different languages. So, Mm. you know, even in in English, there's a different, you know, gifts and giftedness, but in all, like in German, in Dutch, Mm. in French, nobody wants to call it what it is. So it's not the term gifted. So Mm. in in German, it's called high potential. And okay. And also nobody wants to call themselves that. So it Mm -hmm. has a negative notion in any language. It's not the term. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like the, I got this from one of the books, but it's like we have extra antenna in in certain areas. I like that frame. Yeah, we do. And that's Um, also why Paula Proper says, you know, people don't want to embrace this giftedness. But if I say, you know, your mind is like the rainforest. It's like complex and the most misunderstood and the most, you know, the one uh, that gets chopped down. Uh-huh. And like comparing it to ecosystems, like there's so many different ecosystems and every ecosystem has its value. But mm-hmm. the rainforest one, it's the most complex. Mm-hmm. So I like that metaphor. Yeah, that is a great. I haven't read that book yet. I can't wait to. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. I imagine that while you've been going through your podcast launch that you went through something similar to what I went through in the summit, which was just in getting to witness other people, I've started to learn so much more about myself and my son. Yes, yes. (laughs) And also other people, right? And that's Uh why when I learned about my own giftedness, I was like, oh, but I have friends that are gifted like you said oh my clients are gifted I need to run this summit and then tell them so for me it's like I need to make this podcast and then my my friends didn't listen because they didn't feel spoken to like they they didn't know what it was so I had to pressure one or two of them like go listen and then you know one actually then came back on the podcast because clearly she was identified gifted (laughs) ah oh wow yeah yeah yeah. so that yeah we have similar stories Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I want to throw in one more piece that I discovered during my summit that I didn't know. I thought it was just me. And then it turns out that a lot of the women that I interviewed in the summit had gone through a heavy amount of abuse and specifically in relationships. And so that became like the main theme at introducing my summit is 
what if there's nothing wrong? Like, and when I say abuse, I mean a lot of psychological kind of narcissistic abuse where there's a lot of gaslighting and the gifted woman starts to actually believe there's something really wrong with her and that she's to be at fault for everything that's happened to her in her life. And that's that empath thing again. But I was surprised that some of the women that I interviewed that are highly successful had been through narcissistic abuse. And that blew my mind. And I, I do think there needs to be more awareness around that. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah. And I think this highly empathic notion might, yeah, might be what attracts narcissistic people. And we really need to create our own boundaries. And if we don't know yeah. that, you know, we have this heightened antenna or this high empathy that other people don't have, then we don't know, right? We think everybody's like that. Yes. And that's what happens. And then you project your own empathy onto the narcissist when they don't really have it. It's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is there anything you wish you knew earlier or anything you would like to share something you want to give the listeners? I would, I would, yes. You know, when I see younger women now, I don't assume that they know that they're gifted. And if I identify one that's gifted and also empathic, they're often, like there were two young women that helped me with my summit. One was 22 and one was 19. The 22-year-old never graduated from high school. And the 19-year-old is working in a, a shop selling socks and did not go to college. And I straight up looked at them and said, clearly you're gifted and someone needs to take you by the hand and like help you through whatever the emotional stuff is, tell you you're gifted and help you figure out what you want to do and get you there. Because I mean, if I had, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere without like three particular women I can think of that literally grabbed me by the hand in my life. And I wish there'd been more of them, you know, instead of stabbing each other in the back and trying to be like, don't be selfish. Don't be smart in front of people. You know, instead we need to be celebrating each other <laughs> and, and helping each other. And it's not assuming that somebody's arrogant. Does that, does that make sense? That makes total sense. And yeah. yeah. And also this misconception that gifted women or, and also gifted men, they don't need, or boys and girls that they don't need more support than others because they're so smart they'll figure it out they don't need extra attention but that's actually not true right they need the extra support and dropping out of school is very typical gifted yeah I was like I'll help you get your GED I was a high school teacher and she's like I won't do it I hate the system and I'm so worried about her (laughs) yeah anyway But yeah, I really love that we should really be the person that we wish we had as a child, as a teenager, or even now as an adult. These are the people we need to become now that we know and help empower others like us. Mm -hmm. Yes. I always have my own coach now while I'm coaching others. I mean, it's, you know, I walk my talk. It's I now I know I always need a female mentor, you know. Thank you for saying that the way you did. Amazing. So do you quickly want to say where people can find you so that they can reach out? Yeah, of course. I have three websites. (laughs) And we list them all in the show notes. Okay. LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me, Erin Colleen Keeley. But 
I do have the Gifted Women Summit website, which is giftedwomensummit.com. Mm-hmm. And my casual coaching website that I keep very non-professional and just fun is erinkeely.com. And then my business consulting is interpersonalinstitute.com. Wow. So. <laughs> so thank you very much. And thank you so much for what you're doing for all of us. And I'm looking forward to your next summit. I'm sure going to be there. <laughs> yeah, well, I will definitely be reaching out to you as soon as I get to the planning phase and can't wait to collaborate with all the new people I've met by just deciding to run the summit. So yeah. Thank you so much, Nadia. Thank you. Thank you for being here and talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. Aren't you amazed by all these gifted stories that we're hearing on this show? I I'm just blown away by everything that Aaron has gone through and has overcome and is actually thriving now doing all the things she does and having this amazing women's summit and having her own business and still helping women where she can. So thank you, Erin, for all that you do. And I'm looking forward to this next summit that's coming up. And with that said, again, so happy that you are here listening to this show. And if you want to support this show, the best way you can do this is if you go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and give me a few stars on the rating. And you can actually leave a written review And some of you have done that. So thank you so much. If you scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a written review. And this is not just, you know, for my own ego, but this is actually for the algorithm. So the more people that like the show and give a rating and leave a written review, the more the algorithm will show this to other people. And so more people will be able to find this show and profit from its content. So if this show helped you in any way, I would really love for you to leave a review. That would really mean a lot. So thank you so much. And if you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on unleashmonday.com. You can submit a form. There's also links to all the social media. The best way you can find me is on Instagram at unleash.monday, but I'm on all the other platforms as well, trying to keep up with the times, but I'm trying to figure out where are my listeners at. So just wherever you go on social media, just pop up and say hello. So I know you're there. So that, that will really mean a lot. And with that said, I'm leaving you and I see you hopefully in two weeks. Have a wonderful week. Bye.